Welcome and thank you for joining us on Birth Mother Matters in Adoption with Kelly Rourke Scary and me, Ron Rains, where we delve into the issues of adoption from every angle of the adoption triad. Do what's best for your kid and for yourself because if you can't take care of yourself, you're definitely not going to be able to take care of that kid and that's not fair. And I know that my daughter will be well taken care of with them. Don't have an abortion. Give this child a chance. All I could think about was needing to save my son. My name is Kelly Rourke-Scary. I am the executive director, president, and co-founder of Building Arizona Families Adoption Agency, the Donna K. Evans Foundation, and creator of the You Before Me campaign. I have a bachelor's degree in family studies and human development and a master's degree in education with an emphasis in school counseling. I was adopted at the age of three days, born to a teen birth mother, raised in a closed adoption, and reunited with my birth mother in 2007. I have worked in the adoption field for over 15 years. And I'm Ron Raines. I've worked in radio since 1999. I was the co-host of two successful morning shows in Prescott, Arizona. Now I work for my wife, who's an adoption attorney, and I'm able to combine these two great passions and share them on this podcast. If you enjoy this podcast, make sure to rate and review us on whatever platform you use to listen to us and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Look for AZ Adopt Podcast. Last week, Kelly and I talked with Angie about her international adoption of three children from Russia, and today we'll be talking about those same events, but from a different perspective. Today, we'll be talking with her husband, Scott, on Birth Mother Matters and Adoption. Scott, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, We spoke with your wife last week. And she shared all about your international adoption uh, to adopt your three children from Russia. And so today we would like to hear your side and the experience from your perspective. Thank you for having me. So tell us, how did um, your three children wind up coming to to you? How did the, how did the process start from your perspective? And just just give us the story. Well, it's a pretty interesting story because uh, Angie and I had looked into adoption before we connected with our three kids now. And we visited with a couple adoption agencies and they came out for some visits. And we just didn't click and I can't even remember why. Um, But I was working at the time uh, for the sheriff's office in Fountain Hills. And one of my friends out there Um, adopted from Russia. And he came to the substation where I worked one day and said to me, you know, um, there's a couple kids here that were going to be adopted, but it it fell through for some reason. And would you like to meet them? And I was, it kind of just blew me away that I, I wasn't expecting it for one thing. And so I, I called Angie and I ran this by her and she said, sure, go meet them. And I said, okay, I didn't know. I didn't, he wasn't even sure on their ages. He, I knew they were older and we had been looking for a, a, a younger child, not necessarily a newborn, but, you know, toddler to maybe five. And um, he says, I think they're pretty, they're older than that. And I went, uh, there was a church in Scottsdale that they were staying at during the day. So I walked in the door and his name was Mark and Mark and I walked in the door and uh, he spoke to one of the social workers there at the at church and asked if he could introduce me to these two kids 
um, whose adoption had fell through. And I said, and they said, sure. And I went and I, I met Alex, our son. Um, I think he was swimming at the time. And he came up, very nice, polite young man, shook my hand, started talking to me in Russian, which I, you know, I did at that point, you just kind of nod and, and they shake your head. But, uh, and then he went back to play. And then they went to introduce me to uh, Katya, our, our oldest daughter. Uh, and uh, she wouldn't come within 10 feet of me. She, uh, she, was, she was quite uh, uh, shy and, and, and a little bit uh, of afraid. And that was okay. So um, I went to, to say hi to her and she stood behind one of the uh, escorts from Russia. And then she would peek her head out a little bit and look at me and then, and then, and then go back. So I went and talked to, uh, to Angie about this later on the night and said, yeah, we'd like, she'd like to meet the kids as well. So Mark took them over to their house one afternoon and Angie and I drove over to Mark's house and met Katya and Alex and um, we just hit it off. We brought them some gifts, which they thought were, were great. And um, we had a picnic and food and everything. And by uh, uh, Mark had a pool and, and later on that afternoon, um, we all ended, because none of us had swimsuits, but we all ended up in the pool with fully clothed, just goofing around. So we, we really instantly f- fell in love with the kids. And then we learned later on that uh, Svetlana, uh, we call her Sveta, uh, was going to be adopted by a couple in Arizona. And for some reason, that adoption fell through, I believe, and I'm not positive as I don't remember, I believe um, one of the adoptive parents got sick, um, seriously sick. So they had to drop out of the adoption. So we decided to adopt Katya and Alex. And then a little short time later, we were asked if we wanted to adopt Svetlana. And we said, sure, how can we say no? So we ended up uh, giving uh, the adoption agency the, the go ahead that yes, we would like to start the process of adopting these kids. And about nine months later, it became official. So how did you, you know, one thing that a lot of adoptive families struggle with is is the weight. So after you had met the children and mm-hmm. they went back to Russia and you had to wait that all those months to be able to go back to Russia and, and bring them home, what did you do to fill the time and, and how did you get through those months of waiting? That was the hardest part. Actually, the hardest part was saying goodbye to them as they went back to Russia. We had to, um, They stayed with us a couple days before they left to go to Russia but um, we had to take them back to that church in Scottsdale and there were two big Greyhound buses waiting for them. And that was, uh, needless to say, that was some uh, uh, very, very sad moments there as we gave the kids a hug and kiss goodbye and, and hopefully that they knew um, that we were gonna come and get them when we could. And what happened was um, we would send letters back and forth to each other. And that was when we got a letter from the kids, it was like uh, Angie and I won the lottery. Uh, I'd take the letter, run it to my barber, who was the only person at the time I knew uh, spoke Russian and run it in there. And then he would, I would take a pad and then he would translate the letter. They would say, uh, 
dear mom and pop, we miss you very much. When are you coming to get us? Um, Tati would say something like, um, Sveta cries a lot waiting for you guys. So they would be real tearjerker letters. And then we would write back um, and usually send them a little bit of money. We were told not to send a lot of money, um, but send a little bit of money to them with a letter and then they would translate it. And we found out, you know, after we adopted them, yes, they did get the letters, which was, which was good to know. But we were basically pen pals for the nine months until it became official. And that's what, that's what kept us going. And the paperwork, there was always seemed to be paperwork involved, you know, getting this form, getting it notarized, submitting it, uh, doing that. So the paperwork was keeping us fairly busy along with the home study and everything else that came along with the adoption. But it was really the letters that we look forward to. And we would get about one a month, I'm thinking. Sometimes it'd be a little bit longer because I can remember going, boy, we haven't got a letter from the kids in a while. I hope everything was okay. And then we'd get a letter and we'd, you know, um, yep, things are, things are good. Translate the letter, read it, you know, cry on each other's shoulders, send a letter back, and then wait for the next letter. So I have to ask, you said that the children got the letters. Did they get the money too? Yes, they did because they told us that they were able to take the, like with the first time, I think we sent them $2. They were able to take the $2 and get enough candy for almost everybody in the, in the orphanage. There was, a, there was a small store by the orphanage and they, so they took the $2 down there and, and brought back fistfuls of candy with this $2 and were able to give uh, some of the kids else in the orphanage uh, pieces of candy. So I thought that was very nice. And, and when I heard that story, I said, I knew we picked the right kids. that is amazing now and i talked to angie about this and it just fascinated me but the language barrier now how hard was that to overcome and deal with especially when they came back to you that was extremely difficult if 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 i had to do it over if i have any advice for anybody out there and we thought we did a lot because we and again i didn't know um anybody but my barber that, that spoke Russian. But um, we did work really hard on a cheat sheet that had words like hungry and sleepy and, and I'm hurt or what's wrong or, you know, just all the catchphrases. And they were broke down phonetically because the, the Russian alphabet is a totally different alphabet. And so um, we had that which which helped on one hand and kind of hindered us a little bit on the other, but if I could have, if I would have, could have been able to find and, and dig a little bit deeper and take some uh, Russian classes, I probably would have tried to, to do that or set up um, some type of a translator, um, you know, even if I had to, to, to pay somebody for their time. Like I said, my barber was just a, an acquaintance of mine, really. He was nice enough to invite us over to his house one night and uh, tell us a lot of things about the kids um, that we didn't know, um, which was nice. But then, you know, it's not like we could go over there, all, you know, every night and say, okay, here's here's another problem. Because our biggest concern, the language barrier, is when the kids um, would get into an argument with each other and they would come to us and they would talk to us like we knew Russian, like we understood it, which I later found out from the barber because we knew these little phrases. And I, I think especially they keyed on, on Angie as, as the mom that she knew Russian 
And we just didn't like to talk Russian very much, but that wasn't the case. We didn't really know Russian at all, except for the cheat sheet. But they would talk to us, I mean, these deep emotional conversations. And you could just tell by the tone of their voice and the way they looked at us. They're like, you know, Dad, I've got this problem. Mm-hmm. And Katya mm-hmm. is, you know, you know, giving me you know, trouble over this. And now she's telling me the same thing. And I have, and I have no idea whether they're talking about a toy or somebody hit one another or, or someone's hurt. I had no idea. Um, So that was probably the biggest frustration um, for me and Angie, I can remember us many a night going, I, boy, I wish, I wish for just a day we could speak Russian. (laughs) You know, I wish we we had the ability to just sit down and talk to them, um, but they they picked up the language fairly quickly, which is good because with the three of them, it's a little bit harder with three than with one because one has to speak the new language in order to. With the three of them, they could just talk Russian back and forth with with each other, and kind of leave Hitch and I out of it if they wanted to. And um, that, cause we'd look and say, I wonder what they're talking about. Cause they're, I mean, they're, they're really, they're really going. And occasionally we would pick up some words that we knew, oh, they just said house. We knew that. And the most interesting thing about it and the, probably the funniest thing about it was when the English started coming with the Russian mm-hmm. because you would get, you know, three or four words in Russian. Then you'd get the word sandwich if followed by some other words in Russian. So that was like, hey, we're we're it's working. You know, they're they're speaking English. And I can to this day I can remember one uh Christmas we got Sveta some uh rollerblades and uh we had a long driveway at our first house and she was outside and she looked at me and she said watch me dad and that was like three english words in a row and i thought i i was that was like one of the proudest moments i had as a father when she said watch me dad hmm. and i'm like and, and I, angie wasn't there and i'm like i gotta tell angie that i've got to tell angie that she just said watch me dad <laughs> in english so as frustrating as it was it was also very heartwarming to see the english start to break through the russian Going back, I know that there is a big misconception in the United States amongst a lot of people who are not familiar with aspects of the adoption community in that in the United States, we actually don't have orphanages. There are no orphanages here. There are shelters and crisis nurseries and group homes and residential treatment centers, but those, ha- those are not orphanages. What, how would you describe the best way you can what an orphanage in a country like Russia really is like? Um, well, it was uh, it was heartbreaking to say the least. The, the orphanage looked like it used to be some type of a, of a, of a factory. Um, it, was, it was a large building, but it looked like there was some, something at one time they were used to uh, manufacture some kind of goods in there. And it was out in the, literally the middle of nowhere, a, a forest. And it was a long drive and I can remember driving out there and I'm like, boy, where are they taking us? And so we finally pulled up in front of this, uh, you know, this, this building and we, we got out and we, uh, 
we walked in and there was this young man, I remember leaning against the door and he, he must've been 12 or 13 and he had a, a black leather jacket on. And um, he gave, as we walked in, he kind of gave me a look like, you know, are, are you here for me kind of a look? And I thought, wow, that's, that's tough. Just, I mean, we, we didn't say anything together and we were with our, our chaperone at the time. So we walked in and they said for us to uh, wait here that we will go and see the director of the orphanage and inside um, the, the floors were um, uh, at one time, the, the floors were, were wooden at one time, but the wood had started to, to decay and rot away so that the dirt was coming up from, from the floor. Um, but they didn't take us, they only took us down this hallway and into the director's office. That's all we were allowed to see, but they lined the kids up most of the kids, if not all of the kids along this long corridor as we walked down to meet the director. And that was the hardest thing I've ever done in my life because we're walking and I'm, I'm looking at these kids and I'm thinking, I, I, is there any way we can take more home? Because it, I was, it was heartbreaking. I was, I was holding it back because I'm thinking, I don't wanna walk into the director's office you know, all teary-eyed. I look over, Angie's already lost it. Um, but we're walking down this corridor and it seemed like it went on forever. And all these kids, um, uh, the clothes, I mean, you had uh, these poor kids with two different shoes on, um, you know, mismatched clothes, didn't fit. Um, we finally went into the the director's office and, and we sat down and they they brought our kids in one at a time and that had been the first we had seen the kids um, since we said goodbye to them nine months earlier. And there we had an interview with the director, who I guess had, who at that time could have basically said whether or not the uh, uh, adoption uh, was to go on or not. Um, and she gave us, a, she gave us a, a thumbs up, which was funny because she asked when Katya, they brought Katya and they asked Katya and I thought, boy, that's a that's a tough question for a for a ten year old. They asked her if she was willing to be adopted to go back to the United States with us, and she said yes. And then the director asked her, "Which one do you like best, your mom or your dad?" And I thought, whew, because I remember our chaperone who spoke. Her eyes kind of rolled back, like, "Ooh, that wasn't a good question." And I'm thinking, "Oh, what did she ask her?" Because I have no idea. Then Katya replied. And then the translator kind of gave us a thumbs up. And I'm like, what well, come later found out when she asked Katya, you know, which one do you like best? Her answer was, I like them both the same. So I thought, boy, that's a smart little 10 year old. <laughs> so, um, but anyway, um, we left uh, shortly after there, our meeting with the director. Um, like I said, we, we went in, we saw the entrance, the, the long corridor and the, uh, and the office, but, the, the building itself was in very, very poor shape. And, you know, talking from the kids with the kids uh, later on, it was just, you know, uh, it's, it's not a good situation to be in. There's not a lot of, of funds and, and money uh, in the orphanage process. And uh, yeah, it was, it was tough. Their life in the orphanage was, was difficult. It was very difficult. 
have to ask, what was, what was the purpose? Did you ever find out the purpose of lining all the children up in the hallway? Was there a reason? No, I, I, I don't know. I, I heard it was some type of a, a, I don't want to use the word ritual, but I, I, you know, some kind of a, that that's their way of, as we're coming by their way of thanking us um, for doing this adoption, but it was a heartbreaking thank you. I mean, it was difficult for that. I mean, it might've been only 50 yards that we walked, but it was a long 50 yards and to look in the eyes of all those kids lined up on both sides of the wall. It was, yeah. I mean, from, you know, you would have a, a 12 year old standing right next to a three-year-old and it was just, it was heartbreaking. And it's something that I'll, I'll have, I'll, I'll remember for the rest of my life. Sure. After getting them back here and, you know, starting to live with them and, you know, developing a life as a family together, Angie had talked a bit about, kind of a bonding moment. Did you have any of those moments that were like, I've arrived, I, this is it right now, we've bonded? Was it, for instance, the watch me dad thing? I mean, because I think that would get to me. I, I almost teared up when you said that. That that was really close. And I, I can remember, um, I think Katya was the first one uh, who learned how to write. Mm -hmm. And it was under a year, um, she wrote me a letter and she used to call me, at first she'd call me Papa, she'd spell it P-A-P-A. -A. And she handed it to me one day out of the blue that said, um, I want to thank you um, so much. And it was, there were, there were misspellings and no grammar wasn't correct, but she was so intent on, on learning how to write the English language. She's basically, um, you know, uh, uh, I'm paraphrasing it, but it basically said, Dad, I want to thank you so much for adopting me. Um, I love you and I, I love the United States and um, um, I look forward to the coming years. I mean, it was so, it was so moving. I've got that letter. It was just something that just, that just took, took me back. And for the, for every year until recently, I mean, they're all in their twenties now. Um, but we would, you know, when we would get a Father's Day card or a Christmas card or a birthday card, it always said, thank you so much for adopting us. Thank you for bringing us home. And I, people used to say that, but I tell people, you know what, I, we need to be thanking them. I really feel like I'm the blessed one in this. I really do. I, I understand the kids were in a bad situation, but, you know, I think that Angie and I are blessed for these kids not the other way around. Did you ever feel, um, and you know, as a mom that doesn't have adopted children, but I do have stepchildren, so there are some similarities. Do you ever feel like, oh my goodness, we're in over our head? Like this, this is like, wow. There were, there were days in the first couple years that just, I, I don't, you know, um, when Alex uh, broke his arm at school and didn't really know English, you know, and remember taking him to the hospital and the hospital is asking me all kinds of questions. And I'm like, no, honestly, broke it at school and this and that. Um, there were, there were some, when the kids were having a really bad day and were taking it out on each other and we couldn't help, we really couldn't help. We were still at the we were still at the phase where we would say, 
you know, to each other. I, you know, I don't, you know, we, we just need to separate them and put what, put a couple of them down in front of the TV and maybe tell the one other one to go ride the bike. There were, there were days where we became uh, really frustrated and some of the, you know, I would say for the most part, our kids were 90% listened and did the right thing and, and behaved um, like we wanted them to. But occasionally they would have a bad day. Occasionally they would they would do something that they that they shouldn't have done. And I would and and not being able to tell them in English, you know, that that is inappropriate. You know, you don't you don't do that. You don't take you know money. Um, our oldest and it, and I don't blame her. She she considered herself the bank of the other two. Um, so when we give them allowance, she like you know. When we, we asked her as she got older, so that was a good thing about about this as they got older, because we come back and say, hey, remember when you did that? What were you thinking? And so she'd say, well, you know, I knew that, you know, Alex and, and Svieta, yeah, they weren't old enough to handle their funds. So I took care of their funds for them. So there, there were days. And yes, I could understand how being, uh, um, you know, having uh, uh, stepkids or any kind of uh, a family uh, like this, where you're kind of just thrust together all at once. There were times where I thought, ooh, three, that, uh, boy, should we have taken three? I'm glad now. But there were days where you think, you know, this is this. And I, my advice to people is, is do the best you can, because you will look back and go, you know what, it's just part of, uh, uh, part of being a parent. Whether you're an adopted parent or a biological parent or a step parent or any kind of parent, it's just part of being a parent. Do the best you can, and in the long run, everything will, everything will turn out for the best. Okay, so to kind of summarize this, and we could probably just go on all day long with questions. Oh, I've but... got lots of stories, but yeah. <laughs> so we'll have to bring you back on and listen to those stories. Um, so for, for families that are beginning the steps to pursue an international adoption. What is the best advice that you would give them that you wish that somebody had given you when you were starting this process? Find some training classes that talk about adopting older kids. And I know they're called uh, trauma classes, I believe. Um, take some classes that, that give you uh, at least the background. I wish we would have had a little bit more. We, we, we took one class that when I look back at that, it, it really wasn't um, about adopting older kids. Um, but find a class, find a family that has gone through this and talk to them and ask them what to expect and realize that not every day is going to be, you know, a honeymoon day. Uh, that you're going to have your ups and downs and you're going to look back and say, wow, what did I get myself into? But realize in the end, I mean, I, I cannot picture my life now without these kids. I just can't. Um, so, you know, I, I realized looking back, there was probably a, a good handful of days where I said, you must have been crazy <laughs> to think of doing this. But uh, you know what, whether we would adopt them or, or had them biologically, I'm sure biological parents are thinking the same thing. But I look back now and say to myself, you know what, I, I love these kids. I'll always love them. They're good kids. 
Um, they're all in the military. I mean, that's that's amazing to me. They all have um, good careers. They're all doing they're all doing well. And find some classes for yourself. Don't get frustrated by the paperwork because I remember myself being frustrated. And now when I look back, that was such a small blip on the radar. That paperwork, it really was. But I remember at the time going, oh. You know, I mean, I I was the notary at the time. I knew on a first name basis. She'd be like, "Oh, you." She'd be like, "Oh, you again." Uh, so, um, so anyway, just find some classes, find a family that's gone through this. Uh, don't be afraid to to talk to them. Don't be afraid to have bad days, and um, uh, uh, know that you're that you're doing a good thing for the kids, and the kids in turn are doing a good thing for you. You've really shed a lot of light and I really hope that you come back and continue to share your stories because I think we can all learn so much, whether a family is pursuing international adoption or domestic adoption or looking at adopting out of the foster care system. I think there's so much overlap. And like you said, even with stepchildren or biological children, parenting is parenting and you can add labels to it. But at the end of the day, they're still your children and you're still parenting them. Exactly. And, and I'd be happy to come back. I really enjoyed it. Okay. Well, again, thank you so much. And um, maybe we could do the next episode with you and your wife on at the same time. Sounds great. And get the kids going and everything. We'll have the whole family on Zoom. Okay. It'll be awesome. <laughs> Sounds good. Thanks, Ron. Thank you. Thanks, Kelly. Thank you. Okay. We have a pregnancy crisis hotline available 24-7 by phone or text at 623-695-4112, or you can reach us on our toll-free number at 1-800-340-9665. We can make an immediate appointment with you to get you to a safe place, provide food and clothing, and help you get started on creating an Arizona adoption plan, or just give you more information. Check out our blogs on our website at azpregnancyhelp.com and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by looking for AZ Adopt Podcast. If you enjoy this podcast, make sure to rate and review us on whatever platform you use to listen to us. Birth Mother Matters and Adoption was written and produced by Kelly Rourke Scary and edited by me. Thanks go out to Grapes for letting us use their song, I Don't Know, as our theme song. Join us next time on Birth Mother Matters and Adoption. For Kelly Rourke Scary, I'm Ron Rains, and we'll see you then. 